several years ago, some friends and I got the bright idea to walk a short section of the Appalachian Trail. And I'm not an experienced hiker. But our intention was to, to walk from Front Royal to Luray. I know that's not much, okay? <laughs> but like, you know, just backpack it in for a couple, three or four days. And I was really looking forward to it. And so we got started and I was so grateful immediately for this very clear path, right? I didn't even have to think about where I was going. I just stay on the path and I'm good. So we got a couple hours into it and, uh, and one of my friends We'll call him Jason, because that's his name. <laughs> had to go to the bathroom. And we didn't realize to what extent he had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but he had to go to the bathroom, right? So we're like, all right, we're just going to walk on a little bit further, and we'll, you can catch up. He's like, all right. So we, he goes. So we're down the path of the way. We all take a break. And this is like, like an hour later, like, and he still hasn't caught up to us. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go check on him. And so I went back, and I saw his pack laying there right, on the, right at the trail. And I could see where he had walked through, like the weeds and stuff, right? So I start walking back towards that area, trying to give him his privacy. But I began to call out his name and didn't hear anything. And I kept walking back further and further. And finally, I started hearing a little faint response And so Jason and I finally reconnected, and what had happened was he had put his pack down, walked about 100 yards or so off the trail to where he lost concept of where he was, and when he got done doing his business, working out some math problems or something, he thought he was on the other side of the tree. And so when he got up to leave, he he went away from the trail, thinking he was heading back to the trail. And now, as, as great as that story is, because we still tease him about that, it just shows how incredibly important that trail really is and about getting off the trail, how detrimental it could be. Because, I mean, you hear about people getting lost in the park, right? Like, how does that happen? You have this great trail. You have this highway that goes right through it. Everything goes downhill. But people get lost in the park every single year, and Jason did. It has a happy ending. We went back and got us back and finished up, and we had a great time. But how thankful was I for the people who blazed those trails, put those trail markers up there, and it was a very clear path to be taken. Point being this. There's a verse of Scripture, Proverbs 22, verse 6, and it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And we love to cling to that verse as parents, That we're going to do our best. We're going to train these children. And our hope and our prayer is that they'll stay on that path. The word trained there, I love it. It it has the idea of creating a mold or a stencil that can be replicated. And the way there, train up a child in the way he should go, that's like... um, It's like a course of life. This is how you do life. But one thing I want to point out here is that we we look at this verse and we say, you know what, if I just just train up this child and tell him what to do and and set a pattern, then, then he won't go off the path. But we know that happens, right? 
But I think that what we need to keep in our mind is that rather than saying, train up a child in the way he should go, I think it needs to be train up a child in the way we should go. And the reason I say that is because although children are not always the best listeners, they're incredibly gifted imitators. And children will imitate what they see sooner and more frequently and with more consistency than when we just tell them to do something. Because we'll get into this a little bit. I love what Paul said when he wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So he's imitating Christ. And because he was imitating Christ, he's inviting these believers at the church of Corinth to imitate his behavior. So here's the big point of the message. Be the kind of Christ follower you want your kids to be. Kids can sniff out a fake. And so if it's not real to you, it's not going to be real to them. Now let me just also say this. You can be a genuinely fully committed follower of Christ and your kids still not decide that that's for them. And I understand that. And I know that that's a heartache. And I'm not here to make you feel bad about that. That's not my intention today. And let me just remind you of this. It said, we like to think that that Proverbs 22, six is this, is this like straight path, right? Like train up a child and when he's old, it says when he's old. That's not 18 years of age. They barely started shaving at 18 years of age. When he is old, so if, if, if it's not working out the way that you think it ought to work out right now, don't lose hope. You be who you're supposed to be. You pray for them and trust that God loves them more than he loves, than you, than you love them. He loves them more than you love them. And they'll come around. And you stay consistent. End of parentheses. Your calendar and your checkbook reflect your priorities. That's a harsh thing to say. But if we want to produce spiritually minded children, or we want to have an impact on the spiritual lives of the people that we touch, then we need to be genuinely interested in spiritual matters and following Christ. Most kids will often imitate what you do, and here's the reason, because they know that what you actually do is what's really important to you. And they can see that. It's amazing. We care about what school they go to. I've had clients that specifically only want to buy a house in a particular school district, and they will pay more money for a worse house that is in a school district that they perceive to be better because they want what's best for their kid. I've had people say, well, I wish that our church would do this when they have our kids back there. I get that. 
But we only have them for an hour, right? All right, sometimes an hour and 15. Give me a break. We only have them for a short amount of time. But we focus on like, all right, where are they going to go to school? What's being taught to them when they're in church? What kind of friends are they having? We get tutoring for SATs so they can get into the college of their choice. We worry about what they eat. We read labels, make sure that we do all of these things to make sure that our kids have the best opportunity at life. And all I'm saying is, let's put the same effort into where we're taking them and their relationship with the Lord. But let me, again, it's about imitating who you are, not what you say is important to them. What's encouraging is this, that God's ordinary way, I love this, God's ordinary way of shaping children into committed followers of Christ is parents who teach and model God-centered, Bible-saturated worldview to the children. That's, that's God's plan. God never intended for us to relegate the education of our children to a government. God never intended for us to rely on the church to teach our kids the Bible, right? God never intended for them to get a work ethic out of a classroom. They follow mom and dad. And what an opportunity we have to challenge our children spiritually. There's a great book, there's a, there's a book out there called uh, Almost Christian. And the author said this, she said, if teenagers lack an, articul- lack an articulate faith, it may be because the faith we show them is too spineless to merit much in the way of conversation. Now, if you read that carefully, that'll slap you upside the head. Because we're all about making our kids' lives easier. But I want want us to have strong families that are strong in their faith and that have a rock-solid belief in Jesus Christ. And that's a challenge. Don't be afraid to challenge your kids spiritually. Don't be afraid to ask them to do hard things. You know, it's okay if they serve the Lord. It's okay if they give financially. It's okay if they work hard. Those are good things. Challenge them financially. Have difficult conversations about about God. Why does God allow that to happen? We seem to avoid all of that because we just want to picture Christ as a cheery, rosy, wonderful, full of love person, and he is. But there's a lot of hard questions that they're going to experience in life. So here's a few thoughts on being who we are supposed to be so that they'll be who they're supposed to be. First of all, parent with eternity in mind. So what does that look like? I think we should create a home that inspires others towards God. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but for us, it's about having conversation. And we may be going down the road talking about something and then something comes up and we start talking about it and instantly God gets in and on the conversation. And can I, be, can I just encourage you with this? Be honest if you don't know. It's okay that there are some things that only God has figured out, right? That's why he's God and I'm Eric. I can't explain everything to my children. I explain what I can. I maybe give them a different perspective. But I think that there's a place that God doesn't let us in that we'll never understand. 
And if I understood everything about God, I don't know that that's a very healthy place to be. So I'm okay with not knowing. I'm even better with knowing that he knows even when I don't. And sometimes I'm just okay with that. In conversation, in your general attitude, create a home that inspires others toward godly thinking. Intentionally and regularly recognize God's goodness. It's one of my favorite points. Does that sound bad? Like I'm, I did write the message, right? But it's, it feels good to me when I say stuff like this because I really do like this point because I think it's intentional that you take opportunities on purpose to talk about the goodness of God in your life. Some people are prone to complaining. Some people are prone to be down. And I just think that it's important that we teach our children to recognize the goodness of God. Whether you're driving them to soccer practice, tucking them into bed, waiting in line at Chick-fil-A, intentionally take those opportunities to teach your children about recognizing how good God has been to them. Do you see what I'm saying? Like the fact that you get to drive somewhere instead of walk somewhere. I think also when it comes to parenting with eternity in mind, I think we should include our children in the service for God and others. Kids love to help. Kids love to be a part of what their mom and dad are doing. Enjoy it while you can. It's not always that way. But I think that if we take the opportunity to work with them and serve with them, then it creates it. So, so like everything in my family is a team sport. We do everything together. We pitch in. We are you know, we're not the kind of family where, where one person is sitting on the couch watching TV while somebody else is doing dishes unless it's me sitting on the couch. That's fine. <laughs> then I make sure that my kids go help. Then I'm like the coach role. Come on, kids, go help mama do the dishes. Um, that was a little too transparent. Okay. But everything is a team sport. And so when it comes to serving the Lord, it's a team event. We're going to do this together. We're going to have a great time. And we encourage them to serve others and we look for opportunities. And boy, this is, I'm not, I'm not trying to be unkind, but like when, when things are happening and like chairs are being put away or, or you see somebody else doing something, teach your kids that it's a good thing to pitch in and help and not just observe. We are trying to create people who will respond to the call of God on their life. And so it's important that we're teaching them this idea of service. So create a home that inspires others towards God. And create opportunities to talk about how good God is and include your kids in on your service for God. Second thing I had in mind here was make your joy in Christ visible to your children. Because here's the thing, your enthusiasm and love for Christ will make an impression on them. And again, they can sniff out a fake, so it needs to come from within, like you really do enjoy this relationship that you get to have with Christ. I read this this week, make your home a happy place to be a human. Like, I just love coming home. 
I like my family. I like our, the, the environment that we have. Make your home a happy place to be a human. Because I believe this, a happy home that's full of joy becomes a magnet to Jesus. And that's what we're looking for. Psalm 145, the first couple of verses say this, I will extol or lift thee up, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day will I bless you. I love that word bless. It means salute. Like every day, I'm just going to salute God. Thanks again. And I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And then look what he says here. This is, he sneaks this verse in here. One generation shall praise or boast your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I love that. Let's have this conversation. Let's recognize how good God has been to us. Listen, I know you don't have a perfect life. I get it. I know he can be a jerk sometimes. I shouldn't have addressed that side of the crowd. I'm sorry. I know she can be hard to take sometimes. I know life is life, and I know things get difficult. But when you carry that around, you convey that to your children. And I really think it's important that we make our homes a happy place. That we show the joy of Christ. Because that joy becomes a magnet to them in their relationship with God. I feel like this is a, a check on us. Like what, what kind of an environment am I creating because of the kind of person that I am, you might have to change who you am. Right? You can, you can sit here and feel bad and say, well, I'm falling short in this area. That's why you come to church. Right? I love talking about all the good stuff, but sometimes we need a little course correction here. And so maybe part of this, maybe part of this experience this morning is like, Daggone, I need to work on that area right there. Okay, I'm glad you're here. None of us got it figured out. We all got stuff we're working on. So let's just be honest about that. Let's be real. All right, I need to work on having a happier home. But it comes from within. It's got to be genuine. It's like, what am I doing to recognize how good God has been in my life? Like, how is my relationship with the Lord? That's where the joy is supposed to come from. That's the joy that passes understanding. That doesn't even make sense, but it's real. So parent with eternity in mind, make your joy in Christ visible to your children. And then lastly, lead them into loving Jesus. Because here's the truth. We are not raising kids, we're raising adults. And what we want are adults that love Jesus. Now, that being said, I want them to love you, and I want you to love them well. And I think you do that. You love your kids, and I want, you, I want them to love you. But they need to learn how to love Jesus. And how does that happen? How do we get them to love Jesus? It's the way we should go. So you need to love Jesus. You need to make that evident. So here's my suggestion is to focus on your relationship with Jesus. If you want Christ to be your child's first love, make Jesus your first love. 
Because let me, let me just tell you, loving you is never going to be enough for your children. They need to learn to love Jesus because he's always going to be enough. And I think we wear ourselves out and we exhaust ourselves trying to be everything our kids think they need us to be and what we think our kids need us to be. When really we need to focus on, as well, our relationship with Christ and making that fulfilling and real for you. And that will communicate strongly to your kids. Psalm 78 says this, few verses here. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Do you see that? One generation to the next, and then that generation to the next, and you're talking about the goodness of God. You're talking about all that God has done. And it conveys to every generation. There's a verse in the book of Proverbs that I've loved for a long time. It says the, a, a man's a ch- children's children are a crown of old men. So it's one thing to have good kids. It's another thing for your kids to raise good kids. And that can be worn like a crown. And that starts with you. And I don't know where you are on this journey And if you're feeling overwhelmed this morning, can I just give you some encouragement? You can do it because God gave them to you. And you're God's plan for those kids. That just gave me goosebumps right there. You can do it because God gave them to you. And that means you are capable. And with the help of of God, you can turn out kids who will know the way that they should go because that's the way that you're going as well. And don't be afraid to blaze that trail for them. And create a home that makes it easy to follow Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for trusting us with others. And we understand the responsibility that comes along with that. Providing for them financially, picking a good school out. But Father, I pray that you would just help us recognize the importance of also being who we're supposed to be in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.